Our scripture lesson for this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 23 through 32. When Jesus entered the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? Or if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd, for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. He said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But he later changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the, did the will of his father? They said, The first. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, give us today a faith that transforms our lives. May we live out the calling to which you've given us. May we not only believe in you today, but get up and follow. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and our redeemer. Amen. Our faith demonstrates our actions. You see, what we actually do reveals what we actually believe. Empty words are of little value. Jesus illustrates the point beautifully with this short parable of the two sons. And I've been both of them. Perhaps you have too. I, I remember when I was more like the first son. And it was probably my preteen years, maybe my early teen years. And I got it in my mind that it was time to be a man, time to stand up to my mother and to tell her what I thought about something. I was ready to take that step into manhood. Uh, I remember it was around lunchtime and there were chores to be done and getting ready for lunch and my, my mom told me to go do something. Well, that was my cue. I bowed up strong and I said in as manly a voice as I could muster, no. I can't really tell you what her response was. Because once I saw the look on her face, I ran out of the room in a rush to go do whatever it was that she had told me to do. Before she could say anything about my insolent behavior, the chore was already done. I didn't want to face that. Uh, you better be careful when you cross a southern mama. Uh, I learned my lesson then. I don't know that I've told her no since. Uh, I've also been the other son. I found it's actually much easier. Uh, much easier to be that second son. Tell people what they want to hear. Somebody tells you to do something. Somebody asks for a favor. Just agree. Yeah, I'll do it. And then go and do whatever you want, 
anyway. You can just say anything and then do what feels good. It's much easier, especially if you don't get caught. I'm also reminded of my early years in school. You may remember those days when the teacher would have to leave the room and she would pick some responsible student to take names. We would actually go up and write them on the chalkboard with chalk. I don't think they do that anymore. Uh, on those times when she might pick me, she said, would you, would you take names while I'm out of the room? And I would say with great confidence, yes, of course I will. I'm responsible, I'll do that. But then once she's out of the room and people begin to talk, I don't want everybody to hate me. I had a hard enough time with that already. And so I don't want everybody in the room mad at me for writing their name down, especially not those that I considered my friends. And so I said I would do it, but once the teacher was gone, well, just people kind of did what they wanted, and it gave me the appearance of obedience without having to make anybody mad. And that is kind of convenient, isn't it? We probably all fall into that temptation of time, from time to time of just telling people what they want to hear, looking like we're going along, looking like we're obedient, looking like we're responsible, but in reality doing whatever it is we really want. That's a question we all have to face. Probably all of us face it in our daily lives in multiple ways, in our relationships with our spouses. You know, when the spouse asks you to get something on the way home from work, and you say you will, and then you don't. Uh, with the rest of our family, we face that question at work. Or we face it when we fill out our taxes. The list could go on and on, couldn't it? So many times we're in an ethical dilemma of will my actions match my words. The church has to answer that question too. Uh, of course we do because it's Jesus that asked it. And to be real honest with you this morning, very often in our culture, the church has answered that question by talking about what we say, about what we believe. We put, uh, the, the American church culture puts a whole lot of emphasis on having the right ideas, on having the right beliefs. You, you come for baptism and, and we read you the vows and you have to answer the right way and just to make sure we even write the right answer in the hymnal for you so that you get it right when we ask the question. We, we give you creeds to recite and memorize. We ask you to ascribe to a certain set of beliefs to show loyalty to a certain set of doctrines. Uh, we ask you to pray the right prayers. We, uh, as preachers, we uh, come to the end of a sermon and we say we want everybody to uh, bow your heads, close your eyes, raise your hand, and repeat after me. And we lead them through this prayer that makes them Christian. And to be honest, we preachers uh, are the worst at, uh, are, we are the ones that really perpetuate that kind of thinking that it's all about belief. Uh, because that's pretty easy for us. It's easier to count. At the end of the service, if you come and tell me that you believe the message, then we can know that, well, now you're saved and we can count that. We know what to do with it. But is it possible that some people claim the name Christian without actually claiming the behavior of Christ? Is it possible that sometimes we say we belong to Jesus? We just don't do anything that Jesus did. Well, I think obviously that's true, and 
I want to be careful here. I'm not trying to judge. However, in trying to be like Jesus, I will point out to you that Jesus called out the religious hypocrites of his day. And so when we deal with this, we've got to be honest. Sometimes we who claim the name of Christ don't act very Christ-like. The most obvious example that came to me this week was, was that of, of Westboro Baptist Church. In the name of Christ, these folks go out and they hold up signs that say, God hates gays. Uh, in the name of Christ, they go out and picket the funerals of our veterans. Men and women who have laid down their lives for our freedoms, these, these folks in the name of Christ picket those funerals, causing the mourners to cross picket lines to go and grieve these fallen heroes. It's hard for me to see Jesus doing those things, either one of them. I don't believe that that's the way Jesus acted. And so it's easy to point to them and say, well, yeah, they, they're not living out the Christ-like kind of life, but let's don't just point to the easy answers. Don't we all do it? I confess. I know the right answers. I know the way that we're supposed to love, the way that we're supposed to give, the way that we're supposed to be generous. And I know that sometimes I choose to go the other way. How about you? It raises an important question for us. Is it more important to say the right thing or do the right thing? Now maybe we can do both. But if you have to choose, is it more important to say the right thing or to do the right thing? Can we really claim to be following Christ when we ignore everything that Christ said? Or even the main things that Christ said? Jesus has a pretty clear answer for us. Jesus tells this parable to, cut, to drive the point home that our behavior matters. The son who said no, the son who said the wrong thing, but did the right thing, Jesus calls obedient. The son who said the wrong thing, but did the right thing, is the obedient one. That shouldn't surprise us from Jesus. He's also the one who told the, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. You remember that story, the man falls among thieves and he's left for dead, and this Samaritan comes along to rescue him. Uh, Samaritans were, well, they were outside the family. They were social outcasts. They believed the wrong thing. Samaritans, by being Samaritans, believed the wrong thing about God. And yet Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero of his story, not because of his orthodox faith, but because of his orthodox action. He loved deeply, even sacrificially. That's the way Jesus thinks about following him. Uh, the Apostle John, writing in 1 John chapter 2, puts it this way, that if we say that we abide in Christ, that is, if we claim to live in Christ, we should also walk as Christ walked. John makes the connection very clear. If we want to say we belong to Christ, then you ought to be able to see it in the way we act. Jesus also says, if you love me, You'll keep my commandments. And he goes on to explain that his commandment is that we love one another, all others. 
even when Jesus is talking about the final judgment in Matthew 25, just a few chapters after this, Jesus says to the disciples and those around him, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will be saved. Now, they had the right answer. Lord, Lord, that's the right answer, right? But he says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will be saved, but those who do the will of my Heavenly Father. It shows up in behavior. You see, we, we really can't just believe whatever we want and call it Jesus. We really can't behave any way that we like and call it Christian. Jesus actually does set a standard. He describes what following him looks like. He describes life in Christ for us. And it's not easy. And in the Sermon on the Mount, more than really anywhere else, Jesus in one long speech defines what following him looks like. And in those three chapters, Jesus illustrates what Christ-like behavior is. You can find the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And I want to invite you to join me in reading it this week. And read it carefully. Read it closely. Jesus is defining what Christianity looks like in these three chapters. He's describing his followers. Will you join me in reading those words carefully? Will you join me in an examination of conscience? A time when we, when we ask ourselves, is this the life that I'm living? Are we reading through these pages like the first son? Yeah, we agree with them. Yeah, we agree. They're in the Bible. They're even written in red. We have to agree with them. They must be right, right? Are we simply agreeing with them? Or are we allowing them to penetrate into our soul? Are those difficult words shaping our behavior? Are they changing the way that we live? Those are tough questions. And I'll be honest with you, I don't always like my answers. But Jesus lays out dramatically what it looks like to follow him. Does my life look like any of that? If it doesn't, what right do I have to call myself a follower? There is good news, though. When you read those chapters, you may find yourself like me, saying, this is impossible, no one can do that. And you're exactly right, no one can. Uh, our, our life of faith does not depend on our willpower. Our life of faith is not an act of the will. Following Christ is not an act of the will. It's an act of faith. When we choose Christ, when we surrender ourselves to him, his spirit comes and dwells in us, and he begins to live through us. He begins to have his way with us. You see, my life, my life doesn't have to live that Sermon on the Mount kind of life. My own strength, my willpower, I don't have to live that Sermon on the Mount kind of life. It's Christ in me who lives. Christ in me can live that Sermon on the Mount life, but not against my will.
Only if I allow it. Only if I make room for him. Only at my invitation. So I ask you this morning, maybe for the first time, maybe for the, for the thousandth time, will you join me? May we surrender our wills to God's will. May we take ourselves off the throne. And may we choose God's will over our own. Perhaps something we've talked about today has pricked your heart, made you think. Maybe you want to keep talking about it, ask questions, or even push back against it. I want to invite you to join in this conversation. Uh, we're glad that you're a part of the Forest Lake family today, whether you're one of our members or whether you're just checking us out uh, across the online world. I want to invite you to the family. I want to invite you to the conversation. If you'd like to talk more about what we talked about today, agree or disagree, then I invite you to reach out. My email address is on the screen. I invite you to send me a note. Let's continue the conversation about what it truly means to follow Christ.